This time, let us turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 6. This is our final message in the book of Ephesians. This won't be our last message in the city of Ephesus. But um, the subsequent verses in, in Ephesians chapter 6, David Replogo preached on those earlier this summer. And now we're looping back to these final verses that we haven't covered here in verses 5 through 9. In these verses, Paul is continuing to address practical instructions on what it means to be filled with the Spirit what it means to have a Spirit-filled life, and how being a follower of Christ and being indwelt with the Spirit, how that manifests itself in our different relationships. Relationships between husbands and wives, relationships in the church, relationships between parents and children. And here, he speaks about the relationships, and we'll examine it as the relationships between employers and employees. This passage in particular is addressing the relationship overtly between bondservants and their masters in ancient Ephesus and in ancient Greek culture. I am not this morning getting into the issue of slavery and um, the Bible's teaching on slavery and how this passage relates to that and how it fits to that. If you've got questions upon, about that or want to dive into that more deeply, I did print out um, a section from a commentary that it does a pretty decent summary that is out on the foyer table if, as you exit. Also, that summary about the Bible's teaching on slavery is also available in your community groups, and all of your community group leaders have a copy of that as well if you want to dive into that a bit further. That, comes from a, that article comes from a guy named Tony Morita, um, who I think gave some great insights. I also needed to give him credit for some of the structure that I've got here this morning. With that, let's turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 6 and Paul's instructions. Paul states this, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would send your spirit, that you would fill us with your spirit, that our lives would reflect you in all of our relationships and in all of our reactions in all of our interactions, in every position that you have put us, in, put us in, whether in the family, whether in the workplace. We ask this for the honor of your name. And through Jesus we pray, amen. How do you find meaning in your day-to-day -day work? 7,776. It was hanging on a stack of papers inside of a cubicle when, in the days when I used to work at Navair. If you ask this person what that was, he would answer, that is how many work days I have until the day I retire. 7,776. And each day he would come in and take one more page off. 7,775. More days until I retire. There has got to be a bigger purpose for the work that you do besides counting down the days to the weekend or counting down the days till you retire. There has to be a bigger purpose than doing something that simply just pays the bill. There should be something greater than money that motivates us. 
in this passage gives us to us. That whatever you do, you are to do your work for Jesus Christ. This passage specifically addresses the relationship that we are to have with those who are positionally over us and the relationship that we have with those who are positionally under us. And he begins by telling us that we are to treat those who are over us to treat them as you would Christ. That all of our work is to be done unto Christ. In these verses, there are four times the instructions to the servants that they are to treat their masters, they are to do the work, they are to obey and to follow instructions as they would Christ Jesus himself, to work as bondservants of Christ, to work as to the Lord, to work and to do these things knowing that they will receive back from the Lord who is their ultimate master, and that is how they are to conduct themselves. Last week as school was kicking off, I heard on the radio station um, the story, the testimony of a Christian bus driver who was starting up her bus route. And she said, and she was sharing how she understood that she drove the school bus for Jesus, public school bus. She says, I understand that when I open the doors of my bus, I am the first person and sometimes the last person that these children will see in their day. And as a Christian, I need to make sure that these children see and experience Jesus in me from my first greeting. Good morning. I am so glad to see you today. To my final goodbye as they get off the bus. She understood that what she did, she did her work for the Lord and unto the Lord. And it is true for each one of us as well. If you're not already in the habit of praying as this lady is for God to use you and her spirit to fill you, I would encourage you as you drive to work to pray to say, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit that I would work for you today, that in all my interactions with my boss, with other people in my office, that I would treat them as I would treat Christ and that I would work unto him. So that's the first one. Treat those over you as you would Christ by working unto Christ. Secondly, by working soberly. There's five of these if you're wondering. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. When he says fear and trembling, he is not talking about the terror of retribution. He is talking about a solemn and sober recognition of who it is that you are doing the work for. Now, imagine that you're a baker in a kingdom, and you're a baker in a kingdom, and you make great cakes. And every day, you make dozens and dozens of great cakes, and you get a notice that the king summons for you that you would come to the castle and at the castle that you would bake one of your delicious cakes for the king. What is your response? Well, of course you go. And there is joy within you that the king has asked you to do this work. And you're not concerned about, do I know how to bake cakes? I've baked dozens of cakes every day for every, every day of my life for years. But he would do the work with fear and trembling. Why? Not because of the nature of the work, but because of who he is doing the work for. And he would bake for the king with joy and with fear and trembling. And for each one of us, your work is to be done unto the Lord soberly because you are doing it for King Jesus. To do it soberly, we're also to do it wholeheartedly. Work, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, to do it sincerely, to not be putting on a front, 
that if this is the work that the Lord has for you to do, that you do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Some years ago, one of our local deputies invited me and afforded me the opportunity to do some community service here in Southern Maryland. And I was given the option of doing community service in the local bingo parlor or doing trail maintenance at Point Lookout State Park. Being that I'm not a particular fan of secondhand smoke, I decided to offer trail maintenance at Point Lookout State Park. Trail maintenance meant that there are these drainage ditches along the side of the road throughout the park. And the problem with the drainage ditches is that the lawnmowers can't go into them because they're filled with water. And the grasses grow, and as the grasses grow, that becomes a breeding ground for the mosquitoes. So, I had the pleasure of serving our community by being assigned a weed whacker to jump into the soaking wet trenches up, knee, up to knee depth and walk through the trenches with my weed whacker to cut down the weeds, cut down the grass so the mosquitoes didn't grow. I also had the privilege of serving with several other people from our community. And the other people I was serving with all had color-coordinated matching outfits that had orange shirts and orange pants. And there were three of them and myself as we embarked. So we met at our uh, meet-up point. <laughs> I was 20 years old. We met up at our meet-up point, and the ranger comes to us, and he hands each of us a weed whacker. And he says, I'm leaving. And he turns to me and he says, you make sure they get their work done. Each of them had 2,000 plus hours. I had eight hours for the course of the day. They, well, what happened? Work wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Well, the instant that the ranger left, what did those three other guys do? They said, we're not doing this. Grabbed, the, grabbed their weed whackers, chucked it into the ground, and said, we're not doing anything. And I said, I'm only planning on doing eight hours. I don't need this, I don't need this increase. I'll meet you at the other end of the park. And the, day, and the day went on. But as Christians who are working wholeheartedly unto the Lord, the task should not be a question. Nor should the quality of our work, nor the quality of our effort. And in fact, Jesus himself shows us how to work, whether the work at hand is delightful or the work is miserable. In Mark chapter 10, he says, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus Christ, who had every right to say, this task is below me, this task is beneath me, this task is not worthy of me, came not to be served, but to serve. And he took the form of a servant, and humbling himself, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Consider his labor. For over 30 years, Jesus walked this earth in the shop of a carpenter, a stonemason possibly. Day after day, chopping wood, carving boards, sawing logs, sanding, 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 finishing, sanding. For 30 plus years, the Holy Son of God applying his trade day in and day out. Now think what would happen if you walked into a shop. What would your experience be? Would you come in here, would he talk to you disrespectfully? Would he talk bad about his boss, his father, when his father wasn't in the room? Would he cheat the customer or be rude to the customer? Would he be irresponsible or lazy or not work when his dad wasn't around? Would he minimize the significance of his job? Of course not. Because he would be working wholeheartedly unto the Lord, working as a servant of all. And as Christians, 
we of all people should be exemplary in our work ethic and our work interactions because we are called to do whatever we are doing in such a way that we would let your light shine before others so that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That people would see the way that we are conducting themselves and say, I don't even know God, but I praise God for having that person on my team. Because they do their work wholeheartedly. To work under Christ, work soberly, work wholeheartedly, and to work willingly. This is applied to bond servants and harsh masters. How much more should it apply to us for we who are in much better working conditions? To work willingly without the need of supervision. Charles Spurgeon reflects on this. He says, did anybody dream of supervising Raphael or Michelangelo to keep them at their work? No, the master artist requires no eyes to urge him on. Popes and emperors came to visit the great painters in their studios, but, they, but did they paint better because these grandees gazed upon them? Certainly not. Perhaps they did all the worse in the excitement of the worry of the visit. They had regard to something better than the eyes of pompous people, that they were working willingly unto the Lord, wholeheartedly, for a greater purpose and a greater audience and a greater boss. Practically, no matter what your job is, we are to work for the glory and honor of Christ. This means that it is possible for you to change the 40th diaper in your fourth outfit in the same day as if you are caring for baby Jesus. It means that you can clean your house and prepare a meal, not to impress other people, but to show love to your dinner guests. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? It means that if you are in a position where God has called you and equipped you to fly airplanes, that you fly them in service of Jesus. If you're in a position where you edit PowerPoints and work through Excel spreadsheets, that you edit them, planning on presenting them to Christ himself. That if you're a teacher, you teach as if you're teaching Jesus Christ. If you're an accountant, you count for Jesus. If you're parents, you parent for Christ. If you're a lawyer, you lawyer in each case, doing so for Jesus Christ and in service to him. Work willingly, work wholeheartedly, work soberly, to work unto Christ, and finally to work hopefully. Rendering service with a good will, not unto man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. What Paul is instructing is that the work that you do for the Lord will be honored by the Lord. It's a theme that is repeated multiple times in Scripture, but it's not really emphasized that much, particularly in um, churches that are concerned with the gospel of salvation. Now, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That each of us is to do these things and to stand before the judgment of seat and receive due for what he has done in the body, whether good or for evil. Those who honor Christ will be honored. Those who revere Christ will be rewarded. And there is a due reward that will be received for the good or evil that you do in this life. This is not at all in conflict with the gospel. Ephesians 2 makes this perfectly clear, which is earlier in the book that, of Ephesians that we're in. 
For Paul instructs, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That the only reason, the only way we can have a relationship with God is by the grace of God alone. And it is not a result of anything that we do, it is not a result of works, it is only God's gift that we receive by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But when Christ saves you, he doesn't save you in and and of and for yourself. He saves you for a grander purpose. Verse 10 tells us what it is. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You don't get saved by good works, but you are created to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is no ground for boasting. Because anything that we can do, will do, or accomplish in this life It's only the working of God's Spirit working within us anyway. But what he is instructing is that God has saved you for a specific purpose to do good works, and part of the works that he has called you to do is in the job and in the position that he has placed you in. And those that honor Christ in those positions, he himself will honor. So it'll work hopefully and expectantly of the commendation of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those instructions of how we are to treat those who are over us in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to give instruction about those who are under us, to treat those under us as you would Christ. Here's instructions. He calls us to show mutuality. Everything that he just said about the way that servants should serve their masters, he now says, masters, do the same to them. Everything that I just said about them to you, you are to do to them. That the, that the scriptures, there is this recurring biblical theme that we are to treat each and every person as one who has created the image of God, who bears God's image, and they're worthy of dignity and respect because they are created in God's image. Not only that, how do we treat people? Scripture makes it clear in a really simple way to understand. Treat every other person, regardless of their position in society and position related to you, treat them as you yourself would want to be treated. And for Christians, the admonition goes a step farther and says, don't only treat them as you would want to be treated, treat them as you would treat Jesus Christ himself. Treat every person as you would treat Christ. And Jesus himself instructs us that whether great, but especially those who are low by societal terms, that whatever you did to the least of the people in our society... You do it to Christ Jesus himself. So show mutuality. Treat each person with respect, dignity, joy, compassion, and gentleness. Show mutuality and show meekness. Masters, do the same thing and stop your threatening. In ancient Greek culture, masters had a tremendous amount of power. They had the power of life and death over their bondservants. Beatings, imprisonment or sail into harsher servitude, all of them were options of the master. And Paul says, stop it. Stop your threatening. Rather, what should be demonstrated by a Christian master is meekness, which is authority and power that is under control, that is treating people as they are Christ himself. Meekness is a picture of, um, we get a picture of that in Aslan the Lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. The lion who is strong and powerful and fierce, but who is gentle 
and his fierceness is controlled by his compassion to show meekness. Show mutuality, show meekness, show humility. He says, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is an accountability, that you each, whether servant or master, should live in the fear and awe of God because he is the one who is the master of you both. Repeatedly, Scripture emphasizes this theme. The rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. The Lord is no respecter of persons. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. The Lord sees all. What this means is that it should change, or hopefully it doesn't change, the way that you relate to every person. That you relate to every person knowing that both you and they are accountable to God Almighty. One of the temptations is that whatever position that you are in, whatever position of a power and authority you have, whether that, that is you are an older sibling to younger siblings, whether that is in your family, whether that is in the workplace, whatever position or power position you have or authority you have, with increasing responsibility and authority and power, there become more opportunities to bend the truth more opportunities to cheat and lie, more opportunities to cover up and to coerce situation. What Paul instructs us and reminds us is that whatever you do, know that you do it before the ever-seeing gaze of God Almighty. Though no other human may see, there is one who sees and knows who you are when no one is looking and when you think no one will find out. There is one Lord and one judge over all mankind, and both you and those under you are accountable to him. So show humility. Finally, to show impartiality. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours in heaven, as there is no partiality, with, no partiality with him. In this life, our society is structured that it matters who you are. There is a hierarchy of values. There is a hierarchy of positions that tells you where you fit and how you fit in. And most likely, anytime you walk into a room where other people are around, you walk into that room and you assess where you stand in relationship to them. Whether you're a mother, you walk in and you assess, are they a mother of old children or young children? Are they a mother of what type of children do they have? What type of family are they? Whether you're a guy, you walk in and you assess people on the level, how they present themselves, how they're dressed, their clothing, their perceived, the position that they have. All of these different things we do when we come into a room and we measure ourselves against one another according to this hierarchical social stratum. And the position that you are in, in our society, grants you various levels of social access, various levels of social privilege, or not. Your wealth affords you various levels of VIP access to sports games and shows and to financial services and in some situations to the court system or colleges or not. But this is not so with God. For God is utterly impartial and he is no respecter of persons. 
Job says, Who is the Lord Almighty, the one who shows no partiality to princes, nor regards the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands? People are discriminatory, but the God of justice is not. What it means, therefore, is that it matters not whether you are in charge or under charge. It matters not whether you have the corner office with the huge windows or you have the claustrophobic cubicle that's contained in the coat closet. It matters not whether you work for princes or you work with paupers. The position that you are in, your rank, your job, your position is irrelevant. What matters is, is that whatever position that the Lord has put you in, do you show and reflect Christ? Do you honor and treat others as if you were treating and interacting with Jesus Christ himself? That in any and all positions that you work, that you work for Christ, you work with him and you represent him. Treat those under, those under you as you would Christ. Treat those over you as you would Christ. Scripture calls us to do this because Jesus is not only the model servant, but he is also the ultimate master. And when you look at him as a master and as a leader, he is the servant leader. He is the one who took up his towel to wipe, wash his disciples' feet. He is a shepherd, not a dictator. He is the one who sacrificed himself. He is the one who took the heat and who took the, took the hit for the mistakes of those who were under him. And so as you walk out of this room into whatever position the Lord has you in our society, the critical thing to know and to ask yourself as you walk into that position is, is Jesus your master? Is Jesus the one that you regard, that you are doing the work for and fulfilling that responsibility for? Is he your master? And Jesus himself would urge us to ask the question. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Because if you know Christ, even if you have nothing, you have everything. And if you have everything in this world but do not have Christ, you have nothing. Is he your master? And there comes a point in the life of every person when they need to decide whether or not they will consciously submit themselves to the lordship of Christ. Whether they will submit themselves to Christ being their master. Yes, there needs to come a point where people trust in Christ as their savior, that they recognize that they're a sinner, that they can't save themselves, that Jesus Christ paid the penalty and took the punishment that they deserve and rose from the grave to give him new life. They need to trust that Christ is their rescuer. But in the same time of trusting Christ as their rescuer, they also need to trust him as their Lord, their boss, their king their commanding officer, their master, that Jesus is the one who calls the shots, that Jesus is the one that you follow and obey even when you don't feel like obeying. But you do it because you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the one who frees us from being slaves to sin, from being in bondage to the lust of this life. He is the one who makes us, we, who were enemies of God, who were estranged from him. He is the one who became a servant to pursue after us so that we would become heirs, 
sons and co-heirs with Christ, not employees, not servants, not slaves, but sons of God Almighty, whether male or female. And so if you are a son of God, there is a much higher purpose for your work than counting down 7,775 days until the day that you retire. There is a much higher purpose than saving money for the coming weekend or earning a paycheck to get by. You have been bestowed with the dignity and the purpose to honor Christ in everything that you do and to work for Him, to have a new boss, the Lord Jesus Christ, whether or not you've changed jobs. And so whether it is to people that are over us or people that are under us, may we honor Christ in our work. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate servant and our gracious master. You are everything. And so, Father, I do pray that you would help us to recognize and to understand moment by moment that there is a day coming when we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Lord, we long to hear the words of our Lord and Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, would your spirit work in us so that we would treat everyone as Christ, that we would work for Christ, that we would work through Christ, and that we would work by the power of your spirit dwelling in us no matter how delightful or miserable the task that we have this